0: Three-dimensional, transforming, musical, linguistic objects. Elf machines.
1: Greetings from cyberdelic space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And as we are in the process of wrapping up 2023... I hope that it hasn't been as difficult a year for you as it has been and continues to be for far too many of our human sisters and brothers. Let's see what we can do to make 2024 a big improvement over the past few years. For my part, I'm going to play an old tape that, in a way, is more of a salon than a Terence McKenna lecture. And what I hope you listen for, and then think about, is how the participants seem to be in a somewhat apocalyptic state of mind. What I find interesting is that this recording was made in 1985 and that was the year that Bruce Springsteen's album, Born in the USA, was released, uh, just to give you a little handle on where you might have been that year. As you'll see from the image in the program notes for this podcast, this appears to be tape number two of an unspecified number of tapes, and handwritten on the label is the word unedited. However, the only editing that I had to do was to remove some of the scratchy background noise and amplify all of the voices except for Terrence's. Uh, I assumed that he was wearing a microphone, and that also picked up the comments from the rest of the room. Now, the date of this recording is August 19th, 1985 which is a couple days before the uh, Ralph Abraham recording that we just played uh, not long ago. And the title for this uh, recording is Shamanism, Alchemy, and the Millennium. And it was recorded at the Esalen Institute near Big Sur, California. As I said a minute ago, I was drawn by the concern for the future that I heard in the voices of the participants in this workshop. Now at the time, 38 years ago... The psychedelic community at large was thinking about the upcoming millennium that would soon be followed by the year 2012, and in hindsight, uh, (laughs) well, all of those concerns and prophecies look a little bit foolish today, but they were all consuming back then. So it makes me wonder what, if any, of today's concerns are also going to seem unfounded in 2061, which is 38 years from now. My personal opinion, I'm sorry to say, uh, well, it's somewhat bleak, but I most likely won't be here to find out. And the reason that I say most likely is that the maximum range of human life has been determined to be 122 years. And if I make it to the max, well, that gets me to 2064. So there actually is an outside chance of us continuing this conversation 38 years from now. (laughs) And now that I've gotten my foolishness out of the way, Let's join Terence McKinnon and a few of his friends on a hot August morning at Esalen in
0: 1985. Uh, what do you do? I think that what you do, till it happens, is there's a way to help it, and I'm vague on this, but it's where I'm working. You do something with language. You prepare language to receive it. You build a, a, a bassinet out of language to receive the alchemical child. Uh, and this is what we're doing. By This conversation could not have happened 20 years ago. Not anywhere. So that means that we are like summoning the alchemical object by talking about it. It is becoming more and more inevitable by forming opinions about it. That's why I have such faith in it, because there is a continuous knitting together around the assumption that it must exist. I think things come, that's how things come into existence, through focused uh, expectation, you know? So we are literally invoking it, and the way you invoke it is by having the experience through hallucinogens or whatever works for you. That's one part of the work. The other part of the work is building a consensus through talk so that you and I are talking about why do you think it's this way, why does time have to end. This is uh, the work itself. That's the creation of a myth. Yes. When the myth is perfect, the myth will be real. I, I, I share, Cass's comfort
2: about sitting around waiting for the millennium and dreaming about it. it sort of forestalls it. I just have to look out this window and just think how timeless that is out there. Mm-hmm. How primeval and unchanged the cliff is in that way.
0: But what about suffering humanity? What about the historical dilemma? You know, I feel so. Well, you see
2: it as a dilemma, the way it is. Well, but they have always, always suffered, and there's no reason to suppose that they won't always suffer.
0: Well, aren't some we fortunate it isn't us? Yes, <laughs> exactly. That
2: is right. Some suffer more than others, and we are among the fortunate. For but whatever reason, I think that historically we're at a point which we've never been before, where sort of the demonic alchemical changes leading to mass destruction a nuclear holocaust that's never been in existence before in the world, and if that's not going to get us, maybe AIDS will which is (laughs) the the modern plague Right Um, At any rate, I I would assume that you're talking about the Deus Ex Machina comes from sort of a pessimism that we've reached this point in history through technology, demonic technology, and that we can't save ourselves
0: we can't save ourselves without contacting our inner resources we can't save ourselves by the methods that are currently being used at the top. I'm not pessimistic I do think people are the sine qua non of it so that it isn't a passive waiting for the millennium it's, it's a friend of mine said once, uh, and the word apocalypse hasn't been used yet this morning, but the apocalypse in the millennium, are brother and sister. He said, we must live as though the apocalypse has already happened. That's the only way to get beyond its shadow. And maybe that's what you're doing and, and mentioning, that you have confronted the problem surmounted the problem, and now live in the post-problem space.
3: Well, it seems to me that the apocalypse happens every day, just like the millennium happens every day, for different people, in different places, in different situations. The apocalypse has happened in Nicaragua, and it's happened in a big They don't need a bigger one than that, you know Mm -hmm. It hasn't happened here, and... um, you know, to a lot of people in the world, this is the millennium here. California yeah, is
0: that's it.
4: That's but true. That's true. Here comes the telling of the story. Doesn't it? I mean it can be an apocalypse of joy?
0: That's true. That's true.
4: And what we're forgetting is maybe we're the ones chosen for the joy, and we're not really letting it come through, except as we're letting a little bit of
0: To release into the acceptance of your position,
4: and language is very important because going into the work, as far as I'm concerned, the set depends on what I intend. I'm perfectly willing to look at the negative and not get attached to it, Uh Uh and that's part of the practice. Yes, Um, and then to see what Uh comes—the birth of the child in heaven. I
5: have come to see the suffering that goes on, especially at this point, when we do have the resources that we do, and whether that's external suffering in the form of war, or people starving, or intrapsychic suffering, as being the external manifestation of what goes on in our collective human psyche. And it's like things originate at that psychic level, and then they manifest through the world and through ourselves. We're that vehicle through which it comes. And... Whether we look on an individual level at what goes on in terms of the ego, defenses, I mean, all of that complex of structure that creates us with the uh, kind of viewpoint that it does manifests in the world and then that, that gets reflected back to us. And I mean, I've almost come to see the bomb at this point as being a very graphic and accurate depiction that is confronting us with what we have done on the intrapsychic level collectively. Mm-hmm. Because we have, in trying to erect a defense, it has itself become the threat, which has cut us off from what we supposedly wanted to protect.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: So it seems to me that it's initially at the individual intrapsychic level, and then by sharing that in some fashion, it begins to make some some energetic alterations in that collective human psyche. But then the external conditions on this earth are going to begin to reflect that
2: i think it's useful also to look at this in terms of uh, the model
5: that stan Rapp has put out which relates
2: also generally to process of psycho-spiritual transformation which you can see in all kinds of disciplines in yoga and shamanism and, and so on, involving the process of birth we've all uh, experienced the millennium, the apocalypse and the millennium and sort of this simultaneity of the end of a world when we were in the womb, um, we experience that as absolutely the end, but it's really again simultaneous with the beginning. So, it's, so as you were saying, it's the, it's the uh, uh, to confront that internally so we don't project it out. Right? Mm-hmm. But there's something about that and that's a uh, kind of biological blueprint of it, that's a biological level of this archetype of transformation. But it doesn't seem to elucidate certain phenomena regarding uh, these ideas in psychedelic states where you were talking about the marble spinning in your hand. I had an experience once with LSD and a crystal where where that exactly was the phenomenon, the woman who dropped a crystal in my hand and that instant the crystal, the whole universe, was contained in the crystal, and it was, uh, at the moment she did it, was a very nice sunny day in Santa Cruz, and when it landed in my hand, there was it got very windy and it sort of darkened all around, and it was tremendous release of energy, uh, up till that point, I've been considering this birth model, but it doesn't quite,
0: there are many other levels to it, you know, this sort of biology, but, but the biologicalness is extremely significant because that is, it's inversely something that we've all gone through this process. It's a little bit after 12. Shall we take a break and come back? Or what time do they start serving lunch? I can't remember. 12.30. Oh, 12.30. Well, maybe we should just keep after this until 12.30. Yeah. Why don't we do that? And then what time do we start now? 3, I believe. Yeah anybody else have anything more on this?
4: It's, it's, it's not making a pointer it's like I feel as though I'm becoming something else in my own nervous system certainly in my mind I've seen the process over the last 15 years but but I feel like my tissues, my nervous system my cells, everything is becoming something different and then while you were talking I flashed on the Fidmore Transmation Commission and, and, and they talk about the burning off of impurities as in a chemistry lab, which, if you translate it in intuition terms, would be the church, be separating of the wheat from the shaft. And first I felt very sad about it, and then I realized since no energy is destroyed, that people who have not passed a certain line of consciousness will go on to evolve at another point. But right now it's like that's baggage.
0: Yeah.
4: And, and, and that we've got we have to go on. And it, I don't know if anyone else is experiencing that. Got, I'm, I'm working a lot with systems that have to do with. Really entering your own nervous system, but but I think it's a combination of things that that I feel lighter. I'm just becoming something else.
0: Yes. Well, one of the ways to think about this alchemical transformation, which is sort of a middle ground, is to think of it as a transformation of the physical body that actually you are changing. It's like the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly, but it's real. And these, you can make as materialistic a model of it as you want. I mean, you can say that psilocybin is a metamorphotic enzyme of some sort. In the invisible landscape, is the most materialistic setting out of these ideas because there we believed that it was actually something that you had to do to yourself, to your body with sound in a certain state of biodynamic saturation with these tryptamine compounds, and that then there was a way to lock molecules into the DNA to shift the resonant uh, sphere of perception so that you would enter the millennium, Basically, the millennium then becomes a form of broadcast radiation coming out of your own body. And, and this is both a spiritual and a materialistic model for it. It makes clear that it's a state of mind, but it also makes clear that it has a chemical, uh, molecular and chemical basis for it. I, my notion of the millennium is to live in the imagination. To, to go where things are as you think they are, and then to explore what that would be like, uh, not over the first half hour, but over a long period of time. What well, you would quickly learn that I mean it would be an enormous uprush of creativity. It's like in some ways, I think you know the push to go into space, Space is black and empty and a wonderful place to put things. It's sort of like the inside of your mind. And so these engineering schemes for these 50-mile-long cities with gardens and waterfalls and all this, what they're saying is, you know, outer space is the imagination. We will build these habitats, these structures, the question is, shall we build them between Earth and space, or shall we build them north of the amygdala? And uh, it, it will be the same kind of thing. The imagination, as William Blake saw so clearly, is where we want to be. You know? We are the creatures of the imagination, and uh, it is the realm of beauty and fascination and creativity and the trick then is how to be there and be here and be in Tao in both places
2: Are you, when you say imagination like that do you mean I have, I have this sense sometimes that um, if or when this planet goes we will exist in some kind of purely psychic or spiritual substratum like we exist now in a physical one and before that we were in a sort of a fluid one I guess in for that, I don't know. And so this this evolution and our own development proceeds from kind of you know physical dense thing. When we're children, that's what we're into is you know the bottom of the senses, and then it means we ensure we get more intellectual, and then hopefully more spiritual, and then even more. Uh, so when you say this thing, but doesn't uh have that idea that the that the omega point or something is uh, just purely psychic kind of
4: substrate?
0: Yes, I mean it's it's a physical world that is only psychic. It isn't a, a land of rates and shades. It's just that in that physics, it's this world, except that physics has been replaced with imagination. I'm still
2: not clear on the this world part. I mean, will there be mountains and trees? <laughs> <laughs> or-
0: if you apply? want them, there will be. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> what, what will nature do if we live entirely in the imagination, in your version I, mean, I have version? What
0: is in my version?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, well in my best version, uh, the entire technological backup of the planet, all the databases and the, everything, is put into a grain of sand, which is put on a beach on a South Pacific island. And lost, and then everybody is naked, healthy, and happy wherever they are. And if you need something, it appears at your right hand. And uh, if you want to be somewhere, you are there. If you want to be something, you are it. You are. You become thought visualized, and you are also. This perfect being in a perfect world, living a life perfectly integrated into nature. Now, to what degree this has already been achieved is a question. Again, Club Med, but even more so, the shamans in the rainforest we think of as, you know, however we think of them, But occasionally they say things which suggest that for them this is a reality. I mean, one day we were walking with Don Fidel to his house in the forest, and apropos of nothing, he said, "Um, This is the path that Christ walked. And then you look around, say, You know, damned if it isn't the Christ (laughs) that path, the path that Christ walked. Well, it means that Don Fidel lived in the imagination. He saw things this way. He was in all history was present. He only knew maybe a little bit of it, but all he knew of history was present. So, you know, he was walking with Elijah. Whose imagination did Don Fidel live in? His own. Where were you alone? I was, uh, this is like, the Leibnizian question about the monads, every monad had a unique soul, but the monads each had their distinct perspective in the way that the infinite number of points that fill this room all have a definably unique perspective on the room. So it isn't a matter of, will you will my dream step on your dream? See, that's what history is. One dream, and if you don't agree with my dream, I'm going to kill you and round up your relatives And because uh, there can only be a few dreams on this planet. But there should be an infinite number of dreams, and that's what the imagination allows. At my mother's knee, I learned that if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. I am a beggar. So consequently, I'm very interested in having wishes become horses and flying saucers and all of these things. How else can we solve poverty except to make wishes be horses?
4: And and in the practical sense, I've had an experience of wishing I could help heal somebody and feeling very desperate that I couldn't and finally thinking, well, I can't do it. And going off and going my own way and finding I got sick,
2: which Mm -hmm. I don't
4: do ever, encapsulating it and having some experiences there, which were very, quite dramatic. Within a month of that was when I had the chance to go through this near-death experience with this person. And it's uncanny, the experiences that she went through, that in my day and a half of being sick, I went through before. Mm-hmm. And in some way, what I cleared, I became the seed for something that went out. Mm-hmm. And I no longer had to worry about what my effect was. All that I had to do was keep clear inside myself, and at the end of my illness, I felt as if I had had the most wonderful experience in the world. It was hell, but it was a, a relieving experience. I needed to learn that before I could help <laughs> somebody in. I could help somebody else because I love it. So it really takes it back to the individual
0: right now. Alchemical riches are better than gold, but it's all interiorized. It's the discovery of feelings, explorable dimensions that are where the spirit literally takes flight, you know, and uh, and then that anchors a life. And we presume it could anchor a society. In fact, presume that these shamanic societies in the rainforest—the reason they don't have material culture was because it clutters things up so much, and then you can only have one culture. You know.
3: Well, their millennium is very, or whatever it is. They're, they're metastable magic is totally dependent on a clear communication with nature all the time. Mm. They can't stop paying attention to yeah. every detail, every plant, and every weather, and every animal, and everything. So, so it's relationship, that's an mm-hmm. important element uh-huh.
0: And language. And, and
3: if they build buildings around themselves, if they put walls on the buildings, which they don't, these people that we were seeing, cuts off so much information, so much communication. How can they keep it together that they've got it, you know? to be simple.
0: If it's not simple, you haven't gotten it yet.
3: So I was curious, this is kind of a technical question, but what I was asking before is, then you presume that nature exists, that the earth and the the nature that it is clothed in exists apart from our imagination enough that we could all live in our imagination and still uh, take for granted that nature is here and supporting us, or... Do we look at a tree and will that it becomes something else that
0: pleases us? No, because this is someone else's imagination. (laughs) Her imagination.
3: So tell us about
0: that. Well, so we are in her imagination trying to create our own realms of imagination, which are for us as much an expression of ourself as this universe is an expression of herself. Uh-huh. Not just the
3: earth.
0: Life. Or the, earth, or the, the earth? No, I think it's everything. It's everything. You know, everything is wedded and webbed together. And it's like there are layers of connection. Some are dense, some are tenuous. But everything is, uh, is connected. And we are simply imaging and this is a good old alchemical doctrine as above so below we are trying to create an arena where we are the god or the goddess but it need not trample on anyone but if we could have it we would be so satisfied that it might inspire us to decent behavior and so it's this effort to give people what they want so that they will allow other people to have what they want. And people are so acquisitive that apparently you have to give everybody everything. Well, to do that, you have to have a different kind of dimensional space-time manifold than we have here, because here we have the mine-yours problem. So that's historical time. We have to break out of that into a place where... uh, contradiction is no problem. And that's why it's so hard to think about it, because it transcends the notion of contradiction, which is a three-dimensional or linguistically three-dimensional notion.
4: And because we live on a, let to speak hierarchically, lower level than that, I think that we
5: do very much live in our imagination, and that's what we see manifest. It's just that the dark side of human nature is a force to be reckoned with. And that governs a lot of what we find ourselves presented with. That's right. It's so that aspect of ourselves that has to
3: be acknowledged. Shadow. Yes. And it, the dark side must be equally present in the imagination. So I don't know. I mean, can it's we, a, it's a force. we forever it make it happy on a beach with fruit falling out of the trees in your imagination without? Spoiling yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we won't exactly. be just like this, except different. Well,
0: it will be just like this, but different for the first hour. but then you begin this notion of being able to do being able to do everything i mean here's a fantasy exercise which is very instructive, I think. Imagine you had a small object that could do anything well then make a list of what you would do with it. Well, so then people say, well, I need a blue cashmere sweater, so I'll have it turn into a blue cashmere sweater. Done. So, hmm. So this game is really not the three wishes game, but the 10,000 wishes game. Well, so then you say, well, ah, hmm. Can the walls be water? Then it's done. So, hmm. So, and in other words, what begins to happen is you begin to push out against the world and you discover no limits. The impeding force has been removed. So then you say, well, then what are the limits? Answer, no limits. So then you say, well, then what can I be? Answer, anything. Well, then what shall I be? And then you say, well... Can I be a small dog? So then you're a small dog. And you say, well, but then can I be 10 small dogs? Yes. Can I be 10 small dogs in a coral reef? Yes. Well, 45 minutes of that and you can't remember where you started.
5: And also say, can I be a pirate? Can I be a murderer? Can I be a slave driver? Can I be a robber? And
0: yes, and you would be all those things, but these are sort of... Like but those are the uh, the suggested roles that come with the instruction. But to say, Be a mass murderer, pirate, Nazi general. Said, said, okay, I've been all of those things, but now I want to be something else. And what it does is it begins to unfurl the imagination say now i know what i want to be i want to be a swarm of space going cetacean cybernauts able to move vertically in five dimensions <laughs> able to say oh wow now i'm getting the feeling of what this thing is and then it all you begin to move out into discovering what are we really what are we if we could what is it it says in Finnegan's Wake it says if you want to be phoenixed come and be parked meaning die upnient prospector you sprout all your worth and woof your wings so it's this notion of if you want to be phoenixed meaning if you want to become a transformative mythical creature unlimited by any constraints he's saying you have to die I'm saying maybe we can find a slightly less drastic uh, way, but you must die to history. History has to be put behind. I love that exercise, this what could you be if you could be anything, because so quickly everything becomes unrecognizable. I mean, imagine the kind of design your home. This is an exercise in Vajrayana Buddhism. They say, the method of the Anuditara Yoga Tantra is they say, imagine yourself to be a god. They invite, in other words, what is called schizophrenic delusion of grandeur. Mm -hmm. They say, imagine yourself to be a god. Now imagine the abode appropriate to this god. You say, well, it begins in some kind of Arabian night's extravagance. Let the floors be carpeted in emeralds. Let damask hangings... But then you, re- you soon exhaust all ag- architectural styles, precious stones and all and Hollywood, and you begin to push off and you say it's unlimited. The beauty of the imagination is unlimited. I mean, maybe for 10 minutes, I want to be a Nazi general. But for 10,000 years, I want to be the nine dimensional Cetacean philosopher in the planet with the triple suns and the so forth. So realizing how beautiful things could be if we were released from the constraint of three-dimensional space. This is why I don't think heaven is easily imagined because after anybody has been there an hour, they don't look much like Uncle Ned or Aunt Frida anymore because they've begun shedding and shedding and shedding and what is emerging is the soul and it becomes less and less recognizable to people. It is uh, the secret self, the, uh, the anthroposophic atom that is being carried around within us. And the psychedelic experience is so powerfully related to this because if you get it right, meaning not every trip and at some dosage level and whatever is right for you, you enter that place say, I can do anything with my mind. If I want to recollect past memories, I can. But what I really want to do is see things that I could not previously imagine. I want to go beyond myself. Show me that which I cannot conceive. And then it does. But you're right, I couldn't conceive it. Show me another and another and another. So that in that sense it seems to anticipate this this ocean of imagination into which the post historical person could to uh, could swim. Yeah. Uh, what if what if history is just one element of this thing? We're just well stuck it's a dimension. Yeah, it's, it's the edge of a cube. History uh, is the edge of a cube as you describing all these things you know you're still talking about it through a time you know so I want to be this you know nine-dimensional uh, thing but what is what is uh, that the implication of that as you know, well the implications are what I'm making a living <laughs> of. <laughs> the implications of all this stuff what are the implications of the endless self-transforming, capacity of the human mind for imagery I mean why is it on a, on a psychedelic drug you can see more art in 25 minutes than the human race has been produced in 5000 years just tearing past you you know it, it means that we are operating in a very limited dimension vis-a-vis our capabilities We have great hearts and great souls, and only very rarely do we get a chance to unfold them. The poor and hungry and downtrodden and oppressed of the world, never. We, the privileged elites, the educated, occasionally and fleetingly, but the real uh, potential and capacity of the species is not being tapped. At all. I mean, we are not recognizing that the greatest resource that we have is humanness and that it isn't what we think it is. You know, the extraterrestrial fantasies we have of alien contact and that sort of thing are pedestrian indeed compared to the real nature of human beings, which we need, which history. Is the very ugly way of handling the debate about what shall we be, because those who have the guns decide, and those who don't uh, go along. Robert,
2: Don that broad stroke on suffering, that sort of thing. I'm um, asked on uh, i I'll send to Teresa. I mean, she was dated this. i work with but She was asked. Uh, she had a tour going. Uh, and she was talking about how beautiful these people were. She was, don't you see the beauty in and the lepers? And, now, and she was asked, she says, well, if they're so spiritually uplifted, and sort of thing, how come we don't have this kind of suffering in United states? And they say that a tear came to eyes. She says, because you're not
0: worthy. Really because you're not worthy. Yes, but Mother Teresa is a saint.
2: So when you talk in terms of the non and the suffering, you know, and I brought that to mind, it definitely kind of a little skewed ever since I heard that, when I first heard that. What well, does she mean, you,
0: know? you mean, what did she mean, that we're not worthy?
2: You know, we think we got everything. I mean, if they are the downtrodden, we we seem to take this attitude. But in fact, you know, what did she mean when she said we weren't
0: worthy to have that kind of stuff? What did she mean, Marlon? Well,
4: I, I was just thinking of the Chronicle of newspaper paper, which we don't want to read, but I did happen to see an article yesterday, which took a lot of courage to look at. And it's the story of a little child who was badly burned in some island, I don't think it was wine, but somewhere, and brought here for endless operations. She was two, and she was burned in her crib, and two people, foster parents, have taken her on, and I mean, to even look at the pictures of her was hard for me. But evidently her eyes, we had to work to open her eyelids, but her eyes glow. And she dances around and she laughs and she just go to bed with a thing in her mouth to stretch her lips and she's burnt brown. And I I, I thought about those parents and they... The story of them is they couldn't have done it except that all of a sudden the man had some kind of a mystical experience. God came and spoke to him. He knew his life was changing. And a few days later, somebody said something about needing a foster parent, and there he is. So something's changing. We are becoming worthy. And the Chronicle published it. Something is really changing. Yeah, I think it's something about me returning us to, to our source. You know, like you were saying uh, the millennium is the end historical time and you were saying something that I was hearing that we are living our end, our beginning and the transition all simultaneously <coughs> over and over and over again. And um, as the as the earth grows and travails, we suffer, we also are giving birth to um, a memory. Mm-hmm of our source. When you were talking about, um, I don't remember what it was you were talking about, it was a a series of images of, um, I want, it's there. Mm -hmm. That is how I've heard a number of spiritualists describe what it is in the beyond, however you want to define or characterize that, that soul substance, which is, you know, you know, at times we may looked like Uncle Ned as you were crossing the threshold, but for a while it was just this vibration, whatever that is, um, where all is possible. And uh, babies, I wonder if you had this experience, babies, as they are born, still have a memory of that, <laughs> of, of the immediacy of a desire and its fulfillment. I don't have, I can't
0: articulate what it is. You mean because the same. uterine environment is, would be like that? I'm, I'm saying beyond that. I'm saying
4: um, mm-hmm. um, before the uterine experience.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
4: You know, before incarnating.
0: Well, it's, we come and go to that cosmic ocean. I mean, maybe the thing that we don't want to face is that the solution is directly in front of you. Mm-hmm. That you're going to die, you know, and then you're going to find out why it all makes sense. And that the trans-historical dimension, that's it. And that that's what Joyce meant when he said, if you want to be Phoenix, you come and be part. That all the anxiety, that what we are really trying to do is... Uh, Remove the barrier between the distinction of living and dying. You know that history is where the living are, the millennium is where the dead are, and we want to somehow tear down the distinction between these two places. uh, And we can. And we can. I think we can. can. Well, our best people are working on it. Either we can can or we can't, but we are working on it.
4: In a sense, isn't that what what we are doing when we meditate, when we dream, when we take a psychedelic substance, we are moving beyond those watery walls and we are experiencing it now, not in death, not out of the body, but in our body, in our consciousness right now, accessing either a memory in our unconscious or something else, but it is happening right now. I mean, as you were talking, I was experiencing it right now. Uh-huh. And I think that, you know, yes, we are trying to, to tear down those barriers. And I think we can. That that is, maybe that is why we're all here. That that is the quest. No, you,
0: well, want, you want to be dead, yeah, be dead without dying.
4: You want to be alive forever. You want to be Let's just start cleaning up your yes. language. If you ask the question show me what I can't imagine maybe what you might say is show me what I haven't yet imagined.
0: Right. Because
4: right. everything's possible.
0: That's right.
4: If they can't.
0: Borges has a story. I don't remember which one it is but it, the basic idea of it is that no individual member of a species is free whatever that means, until the species is extinct. So that everyone has, is jamming up in some holding area somewhere, trying to push the button, basically, because the, the completion is, you know, the earth swept clean of life. I don't say that, and I rarely even mention it in public because it just drives people over the brink. I mean, I've had people in tears over this one, but nevertheless, it is odd that death is so persistent, you know? And
4: because it's a living
0: form. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Death is going
4: on our dying, and you know, everything's dying
0: and, you know, So, so... That's right, we don't worry about the consciousness. (laughs) So maybe the body is the placenta of the soul, and that what we are doing is fussing, you know, fussing over the fact that we can't have it quite the way we want, but that it will all be unfolded uh, quite the way we want, but on somebody else's turn. This is a possibility. I said in a talk I gave here once, what mushroom is it that grows at the end of history? Is it the Stropharia cubensis filled with psilocybin? Or is it the mushroom of Fermi and Oppenheimer and Teller? Or perhaps all mushrooms are the same. We should go to lunch to have mushroom stroganoff <laughs> and we'll regather at three o'clock and hope that Dennis and Sheila and Eduardo are here and uh, it, it will
1: be different
0: <laughs> oh and Ralph too the Mets is scheduled.
1: the body is the placenta of the soul and the real potential of our species isn't being tapped at all so says Terrence And I have no argument with either of those ideas. I wonder if you are thinking what I'm thinking right now, however. As I listened to the participants speak up about their millennial concerns and mentally compared them to recent conversations that I've had about world affairs with friends, well, I noticed something strange. Back in 1985, when it was a lot of supposition and predictions about the years 2000 and the year 2012, Well, there seem to be more fear and worry in people's voices than I've been hearing lately. And, at least in my opinion, things like the environment and major wars seem much more problematic today than the problems we were worrying about 38 years ago. Why do you think that is? Well, I'll leave you with that question, and we can take it up in one of the live salons in the future weeks. And you can go to psychedelicsalon.com for the details of those twice-weekly events. And by the way, at the end of this recording, I think I heard Terrence mention that in the next session that his brother Dennis and Eduardo Luna would be joining him. Well, I happen to have a recording of that session, at least I hope that's what's on it, and the tape that we just listened to was given the number three. The Luna tape is showing number six, (laughs) so we'll just have to wait until I get it digitized and podcast it before we'll know for sure. In any event, it'll be my next podcast. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Namaste, my friends.